Let's look now at our passage in Romans. Uh, this will be the last time that we hit Romans until 2014. Um, we're going to take a break the next five Sundays after today and, and um, look at the birth of our Christ and its application to us today uh, as we celebrate Advent uh, following the church calendar. So, uh, But here we are, and this is... Uh, uh, I don't know that um, there is... A passage in the Bible that has had more Im- impact on me personally and, and more people than I know than this one that we're reading. Uh, so pay heed to God's Word as we begin in, in um, verse 21. Paul writes, But now... This is a turning point, folks. Uh, the, the title of the sermon is The Best But in the Bible, and, and I mean it. Uh, I tried to, tried to get away from that title all week, and I just couldn't. Uh, that is the best but, B-U-T, in the Bible. But now. Three chapters of telling us how sinful we are. But now. Here's the good news. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? I love that question. Can't wait to get to it. In other words, what do we... I mean, does that mean we're nothing? Absolutely not. It's excluded. By what kind of law? By law of work? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is He not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Praise be to God for that word to us this morning. Let's pray and then unpack it. Well, Jesus, would you do just that? There is no deficiency in your word, but there is great deficiency in our hearts and minds. And so we come to you and we beg that your Spirit would give us understanding that is beyond ourselves. We pray that your Spirit would give us eyes to see things we've never seen before or maybe uh, old things in new ways. We pray that your Spirit would give us ears to hear the truth of your Gospel and that we might dance in joy today. Because there is salvation that has been secured through the finished work of your Son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I pray that that's where our hearts would end. And that that's where you would take us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Joe Ford, the uh, mayor of Ontario, um, Toronto, Canada. You've probably seen in the news uh, the last couple of weeks. He was, uh, the mayor, mind you, was was caught um, doing crack cocaine. 
And when confronted by it, he said, well, I'm sorry, but I was so drunk I didn't know what I was doing. We, while in New York, Rachel and I uh, were able to go on the set of um, the David Letterman show, and David Letterman just had a heyday with um, Rob Ford. Just abused him, upside one side and down the other. And as I was listening to him, I thought, how hypocritical. Because to get into the, the, today, or the uh, David Letterman show audience, you, it takes about three hours. Um, and so during those two or three hours, you're being handled by uh, David Letterman's um, handlers and his interns, most of whom are female. And a few years ago, the story broke that David Letterman uh, was having uh, sexual relationships with some of his female interns. And so I thought, how ironic. Here's David Letterman making fun of Rob Ford. And yet I thought, but that's exactly what we do, isn't it? We all look for somebody that's worse than us so that we can feel better about ourselves. There's got to be somebody. There's got to be some group. There, there have to be other people. And I want you to know that this is no small thing. It's at the very heart of our sinful nature. When Satan came to Eve and tempted her to eat of the fruit of the forbidden tree, she said no at first. But then Satan, what did he do? He came back, he, he developed an argument, and this was the argument, did God really say... And the Hebrew there is, there was almost this smirk. There was almost this, oh, come on, really? You're going to believe God? You're going to believe that stuff? You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you see what Satan was doing? He was smirking, saying, come on, you can't just, you, you can't depend on God alone to be your righteousness. You've got to take matters in your own hand. You've got to act independently. You've got to live for you. You've got to use your mind. You're smart. Come on, you're smart enough to know that that law is outdated. You can be righteous. You can be justified. You can feel loved. You can be somebody without all oh, God's garbage that He's trying to impose on your life. And we've never been the same since. You see, what Adam and Eve attained that day was a self-righteousness. And we weren't made for self-righteousness. We were made for God-righteousness. We were made for something outside of us that has very little to do with us, and yet everything to do with us. And that's what Paul is arguing for. You see, here's the problem with us humans. Uh, we form little communities and, and we develop little cultures and little sayings and little laws and little networks in which we have our own little humor and our own little knowledge and our own little expectations of how to be cool and righteous and justified. We all do it. We're Grizzly fans. We're not Clipper fans. <laughs> We're Memphians. We're not... Los Angeles people, whatever, I don't know. Sorry, California folks. I don't know why that was the first city that came to mind. But uh, I love you in the gospel. We are heterosexual. We are not homosexual. Or, we're homosexual. We're not heterosexual. 
Do you see? We're all grasping for something. We're Baptist. And we're not Presbyterian. We're Presbyterian. And we're, and we're not Baptist. You know. We're Catholic. We're not Protestant. We're, whatever it is. We're vice lords. We're, we're, we're even as Memphians. We're downtowners. We're not midtowners. Come on. 30103, not 30104. We're East Memphis. Come on. Collierville. Come on. Really? I mean, this is how we, we construct the, the, these, these little groups in which we can get in and we can just suck righteousness out of. We can feel justified for being who and what we are. If you don't believe it, ride a subway in New York City and talk like a southerner. You look like an idiot. Even the people in the South make fun of you. I'm like, you're, you, that's not your accent. I know that's not your accent. You know, you're from Mississippi. You don't talk like that. It's everywhere. We develop these systems of righteousness, and yet in Rome and in Paul's day, these were the groups that he was addressing. Jews and Gentiles. I'm a Jew. Thank God I wasn't born a Gentile. Literally. There were prayers written thanking God that they weren't born Gentiles. I'm a Gentile. Thank God I'm not like a self-righteous Jew. And you know what Paul comes to them and says? He says, "Let me listen up, church. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous. No, not even one. What we must do as Christians is initially believe that that is our human condition. That we are longing for righteousness outside of God or in addition to God. And then spend the rest of our lives until glory trying to destruct what is deeply ingrained in us. You see, we need this message. We need this gospel every second of every day because we are really that bad. And yet, this is incredible news because when our righteousness is based on being a Grizzly fan, all it takes is one loss, one bad game, one knee blown out of our favorite star for our our sense of righteousness to fall by the wayside. It's paper thin. But there is a foundation upon which to build our identity, to build our lives that is already secure, it's already complete, and nothing can change it, and it's perfect. And it will free you as a human being. And if you get what Paul is saying in this passage, it will change your life for the rest of your life on into eternity. There's nothing more important than this message. And so let's look at it. In Christ Jesus... You are righteous and justified. In Christ Jesus, even the worst person can stand righteous and justified. I don't know if you saw this, but Joseph Paul Franklin was executed this week, and I had never heard of the guy. So I got online when I saw about this execution, and what I found was that Joseph Paul Franklin, back in the late 60s and 70s, Um, read Hitler's uh, Mein Kampf and and determined that the white race was superior. And so he was literally, uh, felt like he was called by God to protect the white race and therefore um, create a war on African Americans in this country. And so he started, one of the very first things he did was he um, 
came out of his house with a gun and he said, the first two black people that I see, I'm going to kill. And that's exactly what he did. A 14-year-old boy, a 14 and a 15-year-old boy killed him dead. And then, um, imagine this, he was looking at Hustler magazine and he saw a black man with a white woman in some 1975 edition and he said, Larry Flint's going to die. He's the one that shot Larry Flint and the reason Larry Flint is in a wheelchair today. He came up to a white woman and um, she started talking about the fact that she was dating a Jamaican man. He He killed her dead. 22 people that we know of. I saw an interview this week, and the interviewer said, are you afraid to die? And he said, no, I have made peace with God. I have repented. I'm a believer in Jesus. And everything in me said, no, not you. (laughs) I mean, I can go, not you. And there are people like that that I'm sure cause a dilemma to your faith. If you really understand grace, you've got to have that conversation with yourself. But what Paul has been telling us from chapter 1 is this whole reality that we shouldn't have to go to such an extreme example as this guy to be absolutely offended by the grace of God. In fact, we should not have to go any further than ourselves. Do you understand that what Paul has been saying since chapter 1 is this whole reality that if Richard Reeves were the only person born in this day that I would need Jesus no more and no less than this guy to come down and to live under the law for me so that I could have something and someone to go to before the judgment seat of of God the Father who would rightly judge me for all of my pride, for, for all of my sin. Do you understand that Jesus did not have to die more for this man as He did for me or you? It's hard to fathom, but the reality is true. We should be as sickened and troubled by God's willingness to declare us forgiven as righteous as anyone that we hear of. Listen to what Paul says. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. Now listen to this phrase. For there is no distinction. Oh, please, Paul, tell me there's a distinction. I mean, tell me that those, those, those horrible Clipper fans are worse than us. I mean, give me some hope, God. Give me something in my life that I can point to. Please tell me that that person five rows behind me, that neighbor that always reports me to the HOA, whatever it is, please tell me that that person that did those horrible things to me is worse than me. And Paul stands before us and he says, I'm sorry, but the best news that you can believe today is there is no distinction. Are you seeking to have a distinction between you and others? Paul says, that's not Christianity. It's religion. It's how every other religion in the world exists. 
But it's not Christianity. It's not the gospel. This is the thing that separates us from anyone else in, in all the world and any other religion. It is that it is grace. It is salvation by grace through faith alone. There's no distinction, Paul says. That's good news because we all desire atonement. I was interested in if David Letterman's wife left him after that whole deal, and so I, I looked it up, and, and he's quoted as saying, no, she didn't leave me. In fact, she's forgiven me, but I haven't forgiven myself. And he said this, could not believe it. He hates Christianity, and he hates Christians. But he said this, he said, I will spend the rest of my life atoning for what I did. He's using biblical terminology. You know why? Because all of us long for atonement. Because all of us know deep down we don't measure up. And what Paul is saying is there's a way to measure up, and it's through Christ Jesus. Now listen to this. Let's walk through this. Five very short things that you have to understand. First of all, He makes us righteous. Through the righteousness of God, listen to this, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested. It, this isn't just some little image tweak. It, this isn't just some, okay, little payment there, and okay, you're, I guess you're acceptable, but you've got to be in the back of the line. I mean, when you get in heaven, you, you ever feel that way? Okay, I kind of believe I'm going to be in heaven, but my room that God's you know, it's way back there. You know, I'm never, I'm never going to see those super saints. No. But now, the righteousness of God. Do you want to know how God sees you? He sees you in His own righteousness. He holds nothing back, therefore. The righteousness of God. Second, it's apart from the law. In other words, it has nothing to do with what you did or didn't do last night or this morning, or what you will do or not do tomorrow. It's apart from the law. It's apart from your performance. Listen to Titus 3, 4 through 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Listen to this. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy. Is that not beautiful? The idea that God blesses the good and curses the wicked is not biblical. The reality is He saves the wicked and He leaves the wicked in their sin. There's, there's nothing in between. Every person that God has saved has been a wicked person. So do you know what that means? It means there's nothing you can do to get God to love you any more. And there's nothing you can do to get God to love you any less. Because He is basing His love for you uh, on the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ. It's apart from law. And I would, I, you know, I might say to Paul, nah, okay, it, it, it's kind of apart from law. It, it's not really apart from law. Why? And he makes that, that, at the end, he says, am I contradicting the law? By no means. I fulfill the law. Why? Jesus fulfilled the law. It's not like God just says, okay, I woke up in a better mood, and let's just kind of get rid of all these, these laws. No. He sent his son to obey the law in our place. 
Jesus obeyed the law for us. It's apart from law in that sense. Third, it was His plan all along, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. Paul has already stated, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. In chapter 4, which we'll pick up on in January, we will see the deep roots of the gospel in Abraham's life. And we'll deal in that whole chapter and part of chapter 5 with the reality that the gospel was the gospel in the Old Testament, the same gospel that's in the New Testament. It has deep roots and therefore it wasn't an afterthought, it was his plan from the beginning. And that should mean something to you. Fourth, we receive it through believing it. You believe it and you get it. The righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus for all who believe. And we see in Ephesians that it is by grace we're saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, even that's the gift of God. You worry, you say, I don't know if I have enough faith. If you have any faith, you've got faith. Now you've got to work it out. But don't look to your faith as a work. Everybody asks, well, how much faith do I have to have? I have no idea. It doesn't say you have to have perfect faith. And, and the prodigal son, what did that son do when he was coming home? He wasn't coming home because he believed the goodness of the Father in its, in its infinite uh, ramifications. He just believed a little tiny bit. Just enough to turn his foot toward home. Is your foot heading toward home? Not even have you taken the first step. Are you, if you're facing home, if you're desiring home... It's because God's doing something in you. That's coming from Him, not you. You can't take credit for it. None of us can. Fifth, it's rooted in Christ alone. It's not just, well, just believe. I was asked recently, Richard, are, are you telling me that people that believe or, or, or religions that believe in one God are not are believing in a different God than the God of the Bible, and I, and I have to say, absolutely. It's not just some, you know, monotheistic idea. But it's in a person who has actually done something. It's Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. We are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in faith. No. And the redemption that is in this person, Jesus the Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live. And He died the perfect death that we could never die. That we might have the perfect acceptance and love of the Father this morning. And that's what you have. Listen to this definition from the Heidelberg Catechism. How are you righteous before God is the question of 60. Here's the answer. Only, only by true faith in Jesus Christ. Although my conscience accuses me that I have grievously sinned against all of God's commandments, have never kept any of them, and am still inclined to all evil. Do you hear that? I love. I mean, this is the best definition of, of, of justification and, and, and righteousness ever. Even though I have this internal battle going on, yet God, without any merit of my own, out of mere grace, imputes to me, oh, that it would be so, the perfect satisfaction, righteousness, and holiness of Christ Jesus. He grants these to me as if, I had never had nor committed any sin. 
And as if I myself had accomplished all the obedience which Christ has rendered for me, if only I accept this gift with a believing heart. I want to do something this morning. I want you to repeat after me if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I am forgiven. I am righteous. God loves me as much as He loves Jesus. All because of Jesus. (laughs) Do you believe that? Do you know the joy that we would possess if we really believe that? That the God of heaven and earth is dancing over us in joy that our band and we, with everything we are, can't hold a candle to the kind of celebration that God is, is being involved in from all eternity to all eternity over His church and over His people that have been redeemed by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. He loves you. You. Don't believe it for your neighbor. Don't just tell somebody else about it. You believe it and you won't be able to help but tell somebody else about it. Because it's just that life-changing. Because we're all just messed up. And then secondly, the question, then where's the boasting? What in the world do we do then? What is our boast? Secondly, what is our boast? How do we live now? If it's all of grace, well, heck, let's go do what we want to do. Are you crazy? You don't understand grace if that's your attitude. And believe me, it's your attitude because it's mine sometimes. We're going to get to that too in chapter 5 and (laughs) 6. Talk about the law in Romans. Can't wait to get there. Uh, What do we do now? Well, I saw it this week. Rachel was... um, Driving Braden and, and Bennett and uh, our grandchildren and Braden, three-year-old grandson, um, could could tell. I think I was on speakerphone. Could tell that Rachel was talking to me and and he started yelling, "I want I want to sing my ABCs to Bapa. I want to sing my ABCs to Bapa." And, and Rachel finally conceded and said, "Okay, sing your ABC A B C D." And it goes through it. And afterwards, I'm just, "Oh yeah, that's amazing." Now, where did that come from? How does a three-year-old know? to perform for me. It's because we were all made for boasting. We were all made to, to celebrate. How else can you, can you explain the, the crazy existence of Memphis State football fans? <laughs> I mean, come on! Why do you keep going to the games? Why do you keep thinking next year? Why did we go to those early Grizzly games? Why did we... Because we were made to boast. It's the only explanation. How in the world can I be an Arkansas fan? How can you be an Ole Miss fan? How can you be an... Okay, Alabama. Okay, Neil, I get it. All right, yeah. Maybe you can justify boasting. Uh, But seriously... We are all looking for something to boast in. You look at, at, at a Mona Lisa, you know, the, the painting, and, and some of us look at it and go, alright, i got to pay 25 bucks to go see that? Ain't no way! 
Because we don't boast in it, yet there are other people that schedule their whole life, their whole existence around. I mean, do you see, we're just created to boast. We boast in different things, but we all boast because we were made to boast, and we are boasters by nature. Here's the question. Have you learned to boast in Christ? I mean, seriously, have you learned to boast in Christ? I mean, we boast in the Grizzlies, we boast in Memphis, we, we, we boast in Justin Timberlake. I know some of you are still on your high. You were there, I know. I've seen it all over Facebook. JT, best concert ever. I mean, we boast in anything, but do you boast in Christ? I mean... Practically, literally. I mean, when, when, when the Grizzlies were, were winning the playoffs, have you ever had that kind of feeling about Jesus? I'm being very practical here. It's not hypothetical at all. You know how to boast, and so do I. Have you ever boasted in Christ? And then the question, I know it's there. Well, what has He given me to boast in? How about conquering sin and death? How about providing a way for you to be accepted by God, the God of heaven and earth, and to be delighted in by coming and humbling Himself for for nasty old you and me, and living under the law because He knew Richard Reeves wouldn't and couldn't even if He wanted to and on the days He wants to. And then He went to the cross and He said, Okay, Father, You take Richard's sin and You make me it and You make him my righteousness. Treat me as you are just in treating me because of all of Richard's nastiness. Dear friends, quit avoiding the reality that you're sinful and deal with it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can be honest about your sin and oh, it's so hard. It's impossible to be completely honest about your sin. But you know how you start being honest about it? You understand the boasting of Jesus. And you start doing it. It's why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. It's because we are not natural boasters of Jesus. We've been out boasting in anything and everything else all week. And then we come here and we remember, oh yes. And other people are ministering to us and we're boasting and we're praying for each other. We're boasting in Christ. We're getting that again. So that we can go out and get it again throughout the week. Man. I need to lose about 10 pounds, probably 15. If I do that, man, if I look at the scale and I do that, I'm boasting. You know, I hope to run another marathon. If I do that again, I'm boasting. But do I boast in Christ? Do I long? Do I put the commitment in Christ? And do you. And then finally, how do we know that we are boasting in Christ? Now, this is crazy. Boasting in Christ alone forms a radical new community. Um, This is all throughout the first three chapters of uh, Romans. Um, While we were in New York, Chris and uh, Rick and myself went to a Knicks game in Madison Square Garden. All right, we're going to be boasting for quite some time about that, and you're going to hate us, you basketball fans. But as I was sitting there in the stadium, or in that arena, Looking around at different moments, I'm looking at Spike Lee and 
you know, Walt Frazier, and uh, they told me Kate Upton was there. How I miss Kate Upton, I have no idea. Uh, but anyway, and I'm looking at the guys around me, and I'm looking at these kids that showed up an hour early, I guess with the other kids, Chris, Rick, and myself. Uh, <laughs> and those kids were lined up at the tunnel, you know, when the players ran. They're just living to get a high five, living, even to get a glance, even anything. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, look at this eclectic group of people, this diverse group of people. I mean, everybody from all walks of life are in this play. Most diverse setting ever. Why is that? Because everybody is there to boast in one thing. That's what brought them all there. They got to the same room because all of them want to see their, want to see Carmelo Anthony take the ball, dribble through, turn around, dunk the ball like it's nothing and walk away, and then they boast and they feel like life is worth living. And the only way I know that is because I know my own heart, and that's what I wanted to see too. <laughs> but what brought them there? Boasting. They wanted a victory. They didn't get it that night. But they wanted to go home feeling high. They wanted to go home feeling good. They wanted to go home feeling justified by being Knicks fans. And man, we kind of saw the opposite of that because while they were losing, there were people chanting, Fire the coach! Fire the coach! Get that guy! Get that bum off the floor! I'm like, whoa! I mean, Knicks fans are they're brutal. Why? Because they want to worship. And it was a bad sermon that day. They didn't like the music that day. You see it? So how do we know that we're boasting? The reality is we're all boasters by nature. We're created to boast, and we've got to boast in something. And therefore, we're all creating a community of boasting. It's not a question of will we boast, it's a question of what we are boasting in. Now listen to this, church. Here's the reality. From the very beginning, we said we're going to boast in one thing in this church, and it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's everything that I'm preaching right now. But let me tell you something. As long as we're boasting in Christ, it doesn't matter what building we're in, how big or small. It doesn't matter how many people are coming, large or small. It doesn't matter if we're growing rapidly and exciting things are happening or not. If we're coming for Jesus, we're coming for Jesus. Do you get that? But here's our hearts, because we are so messed up, we want to rejoice in the fact that, man, we are growing. We're multi-ethnic. We're multi-class. Now, you know, Fellowship Memphis, now they did kind of the, they did the multi-ethnic thing, but they didn't really do the multi-class thing, you know. Or, I go here, I go there, man, you know, I live in this neighborhood, or whatever it is, we're going to find something to boast in other than Jesus. And when we do, we're done. Because Jesus is it. And when Jesus is it, you're going to look around and people aren't going to be like you. Why? Because you didn't come to the church because people were like you. That's how it works. It's not a social project to be a multi-ethnic, multi-class church. The gospel creates that. Just like, how did the Grizzlies create a multi-ethnic, multi-class following? Because they, everybody wants to boast in the Grizzlies. So what has to be true, dear friends, is if the church becomes um, mono-anything, we're boasting in Jesus and something else. And that's what the church has done. Is Jesus the reason you're coming? 
then all the commonality you need with anybody else is Jesus. Yeah, but I don't know if I have them over to dinner. I, I, I mean, I don't know what, what they eat. Or I, I'd be embarrassed about my house. Or if the, common, if the reason you came is Jesus and the reason they came is Jesus, that's all the commonality you need. Don't try to make somebody else like you and don't judge somebody else for not being like you. It's all the commonality you need. Now, do you think I'm taking this too far? Where am I getting this? Look at verses 29 and 30. Is God the God of Jews only? That seems like a bizarre question. Where, where did that come from? Is God the God of Jews only? No, of Gentiles also. Why is he asking that question? Did he just need to kind of fill a little bit more space before he moves on to chapter 4? Why did Paul write the book of Romans? Because he wanted the church to have a theologically sound overview of the great doctrines of the Scriptures. No! Because the church wasn't being the church. They'd forgotten the Gospel. And how did they know? Because Jews and Gentiles wouldn't do life together. They wouldn't have each other over for, for, for dinner. They didn't want to be seen together. In fact, they really couldn't believe they created. They wanted to create their own little churches so they could get over here and say, oh yeah, I believe they're saved, but not as much as we. I mean, I believe they're going to heaven, but yeah, they're not doing it the right way. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Sounds like the church. And it's pride and it's arrogant. And that's why we have churches that look... Um, no different than a KKK rally or a Black Panther rally. Because we might be coming together for, for Jesus, but it's not solely for Jesus. And all of us in this room need to hear that. God is the God of Jews and the God of Gentiles. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through faith in Jesus. Do you believe the Gospel? Let me break it down to you real real simply. The church believes part of the Gospel most of the time, and it's this, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. I... I leave church, alright, I'm forgiven, now let's go hit it hard again, and yeah, I'll probably mess it up by Thursday or maybe Sunday night, some of us. But I'll come back next week, and I'll get right with God, and I'll go back and do it again. No, okay, when you discipline a child, there's forgiveness, and you say, go now, child. That's not the gospel. Because whereas forgiveness says, go righteousness says come. Righteousness says, I didn't just forgive you, I gave you right standing with the Father equal to my standing, Jesus speaking, with the Father. So the Father now looks at you and He longs to fellowship with you. The Gospel says come, not just go. Yes, go, that's the mission, but if, but if you're not coming to the Father and drinking in His love and accepting all that He's done for you, then you'll never go. The Gospel says, come. Are you abiding in Christ this morning? If not, the invitation's there. Would you come? Would you believe it again this morning? Would you humble yourself to embrace it again? You say, I've done that so many times and I know. 
The whole gospel life is repentance and faith every second of every day. If you've only done it a few times, then I don't even know if you're a Christian. It's got to be every day. Or it's not fresh. It's not real. It's something you did 20 years ago. Today, and at the end of the day, and tomorrow morning, and at noon, and receive the gospel and say, I'm forgiven in Christ alone. I'm righteous in Christ alone. Praise be to God. He is my only boast from now and forevermore. Dear friends, I pray that that is your faith. And I pray that downtown church never leaves the reality of that message. It's all we have. And it's all we need. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the forgiveness of sins. Thank You for imputed righteousness to us. Thank You for right standing. Thank You, O God, for fellowship with You. Thank You that we can abide in You, that we are now adopted as Your sons and daughters. We are not slaves, but we are friends. Oh God, I pray that You would allow Your Spirit to allow that truth that is true to explode in our hearts and to make us different people. God, deal with people in this place this morning that have committed sins that they think are too big, that are dealing with shame because of what's been done to them, that are dealing with pride, oh God. I pray that You would apply Your Gospel in such a way that they would be new people. And we pray this in the powerful name and the all-sufficient name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.